0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I think we can go now, don't you? (laughs) They sang that in the eight o'clock service. I guarantee there was no other church on this planet that had him sing at 8 o'clock, but they did an awesome job. That's just a precursor of what's going to happen this afternoon and this evening at South Christmas. I know that you will not want to miss it. We're going to take a break from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2. I want to begin reading in verse 1. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and when he sent them, and he sent them to Bethlehem, and said, "Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him." Also, when they heard the king, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for your word. We've read this account many times. We pray that today you that you would help us to, to learn from their example about worship. You are the one worthy to be worshiped. And we pray, God, that you would bring people to you. You draw them to you that you, would, that you would see some come to your kingdom today. We pray that you'd help us as your children to learn what it means when we come to worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christmas is always interesting when you have children involved. It's a lot of fun when you have children involved, but especially when they're telling Christmas stories and a Sunday school pageant was putting on, a a Sunday school class was putting on a Christmas pageant. They were going to use children in it and one little boy in particular wanted to be Joseph. Well, when parts were given out, he wasn't Joseph. He was given the part of the innkeeper and one of the boys that he disliked the most was given the part of Joseph. He didn't say anything, he kept quiet about it, but secretly he was plotting a way to get even with his rival. And so on the night of the pageant, the performance, Mary and Joseph come walking across the stage and they knock on the door of the inn. And the innkeeper opens the door. Says, what do you want? And Joseph said, Well, we would like to have a room for the night. And then the innkeeper, without anybody knowing what he was going to do it, he threw the door open wide with a big smile and said, Come on in. I'm going to give you the best room in the house. <laughs> well, Joseph didn't know what to do. And thinking quickly on his feet, he looked inside the door past the innkeeper, and then he turned around and said, no wife of mine's going to stay in a dump like this. Come on, Mary, let's go to the barn. (laughs) You cannot make this stuff up. A little boy got excited. He, He got a part in the Christmas play. He came home and said, Mom, I got a part in the Christmas play. She said, what part did you get? He said, I get to be one of the three wise guys. We're gonna talk about the three wise guys. And incidentally, y'all may remember Molly Evans who was a columnist many years ago when the American Civil Liberties Union was threatening to sue over a nativity scene in the state capitol. Molly Evans called some of the politicians to get their reactions. And the treasurer, who she called, said, oh, I hate to see them take that Creech out of the capitol. It could be the only chance we'll ever get to have three wise men in that building. The American Heritage Dictionary defines worship as the reverent love and allegiance accorded to or given to a deity, an idol, or a sacred object. And the Greek words for worship combine the idea of falling down on your knees. I will mention a little bit later that that word is used only when you fall before God. It's used a lot in the book of Revelation when it talks about falling on our knees or falling before the Lord. But from the definitions, it's obvious that worship involves recognizing who God is and who you are. We recognize that God is the creator. He's the Lord of all, Lord and King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the king. We are the subjects. We are the creation. And when you come to worship, you remember that. So that puts God as the focus of the worship and not you and me. But it seems like today we've turned it around. But to give you an example of an attitude of worship, listen to 1 Chronicles 29 verse 10 and following Here's a good biblical focus. Praise be to you, O Lord God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But today, when when it comes to corporate worship, when people gather together to worship, and there'll be people all over this country gathered in church buildings to worship, worship. Instead of focusing on God, congregational worship has begun to focus on man. We come with the attitude or we leave with the attitude, well, I just didn't get anything out of that. Well, guess what? It's not about you in the first place. I didn't like this and I didn't like that and I didn't like what I had to do here and I didn't like that. But see, we've, we've made it all about us. Our culture has led us to focus on us. We live in this frantic pace and we can't come in and stop for a few moments and focus on God. I mean, let's just think about this. Have you realized how frantically impatient you are now? Really? Really? You go into a fast food restaurant and they're not fast enough now, are they? They're not. I mean, you, 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 it didn't come up fast enough on your phone. Your computer's not fast enough. I, I want it now. Even the drive through windows aren't fast enough anymore. And so we, we, we develop this attitude that when we come into worship, we need to hurry up and get this over with. But how many times does the Bible tell us to wait on the Lord? We're told in the Psalms and in Isaiah to wait on the Lord, to spend time with him, to prayer, prepare our hearts. Worship by its very nature demands that we prepare our hearts. It it, it involves refocusing our minds to stop for a moment and to realize who we are, who God is, and the relationship. Sometimes physically we can be in here and be quiet, but our minds are still racing. Some of you right now are looking around to say, well, I wonder who's here today, and what am I going to do? And we frantically look at our watch, and we, you can't even focus enough to honor the Lord. We settle down to listen to the main event, the sermon. You may not follow the outline closely, but you are listening closely for those favorite words of yours, which are, finally... He's about to finish. We've gone, we've been sung to, preached at, informed about a coming events, but we've not worshiped because God did not receive anything from us. We make it all about ourselves. There's also imbalance today in worship. Some people think it's all intellectual. Now, there isn't an intellectual part about worship. You need to know more about God. It's one of the reasons that we worship him in spirit and in truth. We tell the truth about God's word and about him. We need to know more about him so we can relate to him more and so we can honor him more. But some people, it's all just about intellect. And then on the flip side of that, you've got those who are all emotion. It's an emotional experience. If I don't have some kind of emotional experience, then I haven't worshiped. Now, I want to tell you, there are different times the way you feel. I mean, sometimes you feel more emotional than others. And, and, and because we're so afraid of being characterized by one of those holy rollers, we look like holy popsicles. We just don't do anything. We don't sing, we don't smile, we don't don't get excited about the Lord at all. Well, folks, there's a balance there. When we focus on the greatness and the power and the majesty and the wisdom and the love of God, it creates a joy and an exuberance that comes from your heart. You sing, you you say, Lord, I honor you. We were singing this morning about who Jesus is. Come, let us adore him, joy to the world. And then there's a volitional response or will it, it, it involves our will we submit to the will of the Lord and so worship is all of that it's knowing more about God it creates emotional response Lord I love you but it also creates a, a volition a, a desire to serve him and to honor him and to obey him also did you know that if you don't have the attitude now listen carefully If you don't have an attitude of worship during the week, I'm not talking about sitting down and singing a song. And that I'm talking about an attitude that says, everything I have belongs to the Lord. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving me strength today. Thank you for the blessings that are mine. Thank you for watching over me. Thank you for leaving me. Just an attitude of you've got a relationship with God. Did you know if you don't have that during the week, you're not gonna have it in here. Because you don't just click it on at 9.30. Okay, I'm out of my car. Boom, when I walk in the door, boom, I'm worshiping now. You're not going to do it. That's why some people come in. They're just miserable during this time. They're doing their duty, but they have no concept that this is all about God. It's not about you and me. Our whole relationship to God is to be characterized by an attitude and practice of Thanksgiving. It's impossible to instantly experience fellowship with God when you walk in the door. One lady said, I was reading the story of Jesus' birth to my daycare children. And as usual, I stopped to see if they understood what we were reading. And so I asked the question, what do we call the three wise men? And one five-year-old said, the three maggots. Well, I want us to look at the three maggots this morning. Magi. What models do we have from them? What can we learn? I know you've heard this story many, many times. We assume a lot of things about them. We assume they rode in on a camel. We don't know that for sure. We assume there were three of them. We don't know that for sure. We we assume there were three because there were three gifts given. But there are a lot of things we don't know about them, but we can look at this account in Matthew, and we can learn some things from them. So the first model I want you to see is the model of seeking. Herodotus, a Greek historian, tells of a tribe called the Magi a tribe of priests much like the Levites of Israel. They became skilled in philosophy and medicine and natural science, especially in astronomy. They came from the east, we're told. So we assume they came from Persia, probably. They could have been, Some of the descendants of Daniel, when Daniel was carried off in Babylon, uh, which was then Persia, uh, they could have come from there. We don't know a lot about them other than that they were very knowledgeable and skilled and they made a real effort. I mean, they made an effort to come find Jesus, they overcame many obstacles. Think about it, Herod. Now you've heard his name many times. Herod built a lot of great things, a lot of great buildings. When I say great, they were massive. But Herod was a maniac. Herod killed some of his own family. He was so worried about somebody getting his throne. He was called the king of the Jews by Caesar Augustus. So he was put over that part of Israel. And so he was the king over Israel at the time, the king of the Jews. And can you imagine when these wise men, these magi came, they came from so far, they didn't come by themselves. They they had to travel with an entourage, like a small army, just to protect them from the robbers and the thieves and the enemy. So picture this, you've got Herod's army. Where's Herod's army? They're all over administering the census. So Herod's army's not all piled up in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden you've got this entourage that comes in and with a small army and if they were riding on camels or Arabian horses, we don't know, but it says they got all of Jerusalem's attention. Now Herod sees them And verse three, actually, they come to Herod and said, we want to, we're looking for the one who's been born king of the Jews. Now, you're talking to Herod, the maniac. And verse three, it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Now, that doesn't do justice to what he was. (laughs) The word means agitated, shaken. To put it in Elvis's words, he was all shook up (laughs) like an agitator in a washing machine. He was agitated because he was a maniac. And so he probably withheld his anger and asked them to go find them and come tell him so he could come and worship him. They overcame mileage. I mean, they tra- traveled 1,000 miles. Can you imagine riding an animal or walking or both for 1,000 miles up rough, rocky terrain? There were no interstates. There were no great roads. And, and, and then they saw this star. We're told, I don't know who counted them, but we're told that there are 12 quadrillion solar systems And yet they saw this one star, and they came to worship him. They made a real effort. I mean, they went through a lot of hardship to get there. Today, we complain if the church is four or five miles away, and you ride in an air-conditioned, heated automobile. Some people whine about the duration of the worship services. Worship's not an activity that only occurs for one hour on Sunday. It's a daily desire to have a relationship with God. You saw that video about Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You saw some of the conditions those people were worshiping in. We got it made here, don't we? And yet, oh, you would not. You would be amazed at the complaints and the whines Somebody got my seat. Somebody got my parking place. It's too long. It's too loud. It's just too loud. What? This choir, this is just too loud. Yeah, right. I hate to really offend you. It's not about you. Amen. It's not about you. One writer puts it this way, worship in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Worship is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate time or leisure. For some, it's a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Some, with a bent toward Christian entertainment and sacred diversion, plan their lives around special events like retreats and rallies and conferences. We go to see a new personality, to hear a new truth, or to get a new experience. And so, somehow, we expand our otherwise humdrum lives, and we'll try anything until something else comes along. Our worship at Christmas time really is directly related to the quality of our worship the rest of the year. It's not just we just all of a sudden we're going to worship at Christmas time. Irwin Lutherer said, "If we haven't learned to be worshipers, it doesn't really matter how well we do anything else. Mark Horst said, I'm dismayed by the popular phrase, worship experience, to describe the church's corporate worship. Worship has the capacity to transform us because it focuses our hearts and minds on God, God seen in one another, in ourselves and in the world around us. However, the phrase worship experience suggests that worship is important because it induces feelings. In this context, worship is focused more on the worshiper than the one who is worshiped. We need to ask ourselves what a true worship experience is so that if we had one, we could recognize it. Is your heart here today? Is your heart in worship? And you know what? Some people think we have to do it a certain way or you can't worship. Now, that would never happen in a Baptist church. <laughs> that, would never, that would never happen here. Oh, yeah? Isn't it amazing how we got to have it a certain way? True story. True story. It was a pastor. It was not a Baptist church. And in this particular church, they, when they had communion, they had a, a, a common cup. People would come to the front and they would participate out of that cup. They would actually drink out of that cup. Well, on the first communion day of this new church, the pastor did communion, but he was told he didn't do it the right way. He was confused. He, he researched the way that that denomination did it, and he said, well, I did it like by the book. And So he asked one of the officers of the church, did I not do communion right? And he said, not, not exactly. So he said, well, what did I do wrong? And he said, well, the previous pastor who had been at that church for many years, always touched the radiator before they served communion. He thought, what in the world, why? So he called the previous pastor. And the previous pastor said, yes, I touched the radiator before serving the communion cup. I did it to get rid of the static electricity because they were complaining about sparks on their lips. There was a practical reason for it. But he had not done that. But you'd be amazed. I mean, some of you say, well, you know, if they do that, I just can't worship. I just can't worship. I going to tell you something. It's all about God. It's not about you and me. Now, they not only are a model of seeking, but they're also a model of submission. They stand in stark contrast to all those other people in Jerusalem. You've got the priests and the religious leaders. And when Herod asked them, where is this child supposed to be born? They said, six miles from here in Bethlehem. And yet, did they make the trip over there? Uh -uh. No, the wise men put their faith to work and discovered the Savior. And their first response, it says they fell down and worshiped him, a baby. Now, probably the wise men didn't get there while they were still at the manger scene. I do mean, we put them there, it's okay. But it says they came into the house. They came in to found the child. So it could have been months later, probably was, before these guys got there. But when they came in, can you imagine the scene it's filled with emotion. Mary's holding Jesus, who's an infant, child, infant. And these three wise men, or at least three of them, these wise men with their entourage come. And when they come in, they fall down and worship him. You see, they probably laid face down on the ground in front of him. And Something is missing, folks. I know that we are all made up differently emotionally, but we've heard this account so many times that it hardly even moves us anymore. We're so familiar with Christmas. We're so familiar with Jesus saves that we're no longer moved when we think about the one who came to be with us, to live among us, to die for us, to pay a debt that you and I could never pay. We erect our nativity scenes. We put up of decorations. We bring canned goods for the needy, but our hearts are cold and dry and void of joy. We need to fall down like the wise men and say, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for coming. Thank you for what you have done for me. Do you put your heart into it? Is your heart here? I mean, do you have a, when you come in and say, Lord, I want to worship you with my whole heart. I, I want to put all into it. Barbara McKeever, Urbana, Ohio, said this, in the middle of a soloist number at my church, my young grandson Chandler tugged at my sleeve and whispered, she can't sing very well, can she? And she said, knowing the woman had a deep love for Jesus, I said, Chandler, she sings from her heart. That's what makes it good. Well, he nodded thoughtfully. And several days later, she said, as he and I were riding along in the car, singing along with the radio, Chandler stopped and said, Nana, you sing from your heart, don't you? <laughs> yeah. You know what? God doesn't care what it sounds like. He looks at the heart. And when you worship him, Lord, I want for just a few moments, gather with my brothers and sisters in here, and just for a few moments, I want to honor you with all I have. Whether I'm thinking it, singing it, praying it, we want to put it from our heart. Erwin Lutzer, excuse me, Oswald Chambers. Beware of worshiping Jesus as the son of God and professing your faith in him as the savior of the world while you blaspheme him by the complete evidence in your daily life that he is powerless to do anything in and through you. And some of you, you know, you're waiting. You're waiting for me to get done. I've got a tip for you, especially if you have young children. Pastor Dave Charlton said, after a worship service at First Baptist Church in Newcastle, Kentucky, a mother with a fidgety, seven-year-old boy told me how she finally got her son to sit still and be quiet. About halfway through the sermon, she leaned over and said, "If you don't be quiet, Pastor Charlton is going to lose his place and will have to start over on his sermon." <laughs> and it worked. Falling down is a symbol of adoration. Worship is the Greek word used in the New Testament to reference worshiping one who is divine, who is God. It's often used in the book of Revelation. And the, the amazing thing is these wise men worshiped Jesus as a child. We worship him as a king. Now here's the word you're waiting for, Finally. They are a model of sacrifice and sharing. They brought gifts. It was evident of their adoration of the child. The gifts were not mere tokens, this was no token gift, these were treasures. Gold, obviously, was the, was the currency of the day. Frankincense was a sweet-smelling gum, very expensive. Myrrh was a popular-scented ointment. And Mary, in John chapter 11, used that to anoint Jesus' feet. Nicodemus used it to anoint Jesus after he was crucified in John chapter 19. These gifts were not offered because out of compulsion, but from the extravagance of their love and devotion. They brought these because they knew who he was. You cannot worship without giving. How many times do you hear me say, we're going to continue to worship through our giving? I'm so thrilled that so many people have learned the paradox the paradox is, is while he is honored by our gifts, and by the way, you don't own anything. You hear me say that every week. He is honored by our gifts. We are blessed beyond measure through our giving. It's a paradox, isn't it? But there's no worship without giving. I want to I commend you for just a moment. For those of you who fit in this category, it's absolutely incredible how God uses you and me and we get to be part of something that's so much bigger than all of us. $300,000 to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, to support missions around the world. We have a $6 million budget. Folks, when I came in 1988, $300,000 was the annual budget. And I can lay it whack at night thinking, Lord, how in the world are we gonna make it? But the Lord says, don't worry about it, I own it all anyway, it's not your problem. We moved into this building two and a half years ago. Seven million some odd thousand, 7.76, I don't know, million dollars. I'm thinking, how are we ever gonna get that paid? You know, in two and a half years, 26% of it's already been paid. And that's above the normal gifts and tithes because none of the budget goes to pay for that. You see, when you honor the Lord through His work, He is honored. You are blessed. He gets the credit. He gets the glory, and you and I just have His stuff on loan to us. But some people, some people are so stingy. Now you're not usually stingy with the people you love, and so I've always told you that giving is a heart issue because it shows your heart. But there's some people like the man who, who just really hated buying stuff for Christmas and he knew he had to buy something for a family member away, so he went into the shop and there was this vase. Now, it's either a vase or a vase. I guess the more expensive you get, the vase comes into play. But it was $50, but it had a broken handle, so it was marked down to $2. He thought, I got an idea. I'm going to send this to my relative." He said, he told the clerk, I want you to leave the price tag on it, $50. I want you to mail this to my relative. And in his mind, he's thinking it's going to get there, and the relative's going to think he spent $50 on this gift, and it got broken in the mail. Week after Christmas, he got a thank you note. Thank you for the lovely vase. It was so nice of you to wrap each piece separately. (laughs) In a comic strip, for better or for worse, Lizzie, the little girl, is talking to her brother, her big brother, said, look, I've got $9.11 to spend on Christmas. And her brother, being a typical brother, says, you can't buy something for everyone with $9.11, but with supreme confidence. Lizzie said, I'm going to try. And walking away, Michael answers sarcastically, well, there's sure going to be cheap presents. And Lizzie says... Nothing is cheap, Michael, if it costs all the money you have. well, Folks, I want to tell you, Jesus is the greatest gift that's ever been given to us. He came and willingly gave his life for you and me to pay the price for our sin. And when all the Christmas meals have been eaten and the friends have gone their separate ways, he is still the bread of life that gives us spiritual life and nourishment. When all the lights have been taken down and removed and put back in the attic, he is still the light of the world. And when the packages have been unwrapped and the papers thrown away, he continues to be the ultimate gift to all humanity. And if you don't know Jesus, you have no clue what Christmas is about. We celebrate the fact that God came to us. Have you ever said to someone when they've come to see you at a time of need, you have said, I'm so glad you're here. That's what we're saying. God, we're so glad you're here. So glad that you walked in our skin. We're so glad that you lived a sinless life and that you willingly laid your life down for the wages of sin is death. And so you died for our sin and gave us the eternal life, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you don't know Jesus, you've got no concept of Christmas If you watch us online, if you watch us on television, wherever you are and you hear me talking, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know about Christmas because Christ got his name in it. He came that we might have life. Why would you not receive this gift? You're probably in the midst of this season buying Christmas presents for people that you love. And so you're thinking, I want to find a gift that will be suitable for them, that they will enjoy, that they need or whatever. And you're excited about it. You wrap it up and on Christmas morning or whenever you have that time with your family, you give this gift to them and they say, you know, I really don't want that. You imagine how you feel? Well, God has sent eternal life through Jesus Christ. And how many people basically tell God, I don't want that. I can't comprehend that. Why would you not receive forgiveness and eternal life? You can do that right now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, please speak to the hearts of those who don't know you, who do not, have not committed their life to you. We pray that they would see how they'll turn from their sin right now in repentance to change their mind to seek your forgiveness to place their faith and trust in Jesus right now to make him Lord of their life. We pray for the, the Christians here your children Lord, we're sorry for the times we take so much for granted. Forgive us for the times that we walk in this room and we think it's all about us. Would you help us to clear our minds and our hearts to focus on you for just a few moments. Would you help us during the week to have hearts of gratitude and God, we we couldn't make it without you. Life's hard enough with you. We pray For those that might need a church home, if this is the place you want them to be, then we know that your spirit will move them to come. We pray for those that need to be obedient to you. And so Lord, for just a moment, we're completely focused on you. We ask that you speak to our hearts and show us what we need to do right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.